0: If by this time tomorrow I do not t- do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than. My ancestors, Let us pray. Lord, we praise you for your sweet spirit that is in this house, God, and we thank you for the service we had this morning. And we're thankful for the people that are gathered here tonight. God, we are here expecting. We are here to hear the word of the Lord, Lord Jesus. And we just pray you would anoint our pastor tonight to preach the word of God as the Holy Spirit gives them the words to speak, Lord. And I pray, God, we take all these words and apply them to our lives and let them take root in our heart and let them become a part of who we are in the name of Jesus. We pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place tonight and we pray you take over Lord Jesus. You have dominion and that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a good uh, uh, attendance for
1: this Sunday night. We're so thankful that you're here to hear the word of the Lord. Those of you that were here this morning, we talked about a little bit about the shakening that's going on throughout the earth, and we're talking about how that in the last days that God has promised that not only would he shake the earth, but he's going to be shaking the heavens, and that is symbolic and that he's shaking the strongholds of the enemy because the enemy is the prince and the power of the air, and that Satan's kingdom is going to be weakened in this last day thrust. How many really believe that? Do you really grab a hold of that? But in in return, we also know that we're going to be shaken. The church is going to be shaken. Our lives are going to be shaken. We're going to be tested. We're going to be tried. Our homes, our families, our marriages, our businesses, everything that we have that is created according to Hebrews shall find themselves being shaken. And the only things that's going to remain are those things that is connected to and those things that are committed to the cause of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Aren't you glad of that? That God God is out to shake all of those entanglements and all of those uh, hindrances in our lives, and He's going to shake them off. He's separating the wheat from the tear, the real from the the false, and He's bringing those things that are in our lives that are even imperfected, and He's shaking them off to where you and I can become the Church of Jesus Christ in these last days, and that we can do great exploits. How many are ready to do a great exploits for the Lord? Amen. Well, tonight we're going to be talking a little bit. How do we respond to some of these things that are coming up on the earth and these things? That are happening to us. I'd have to admit, even in the last several years, in the last several months, there's been things going on that has overwhelmed me as a pastor. I think, wow, our congregation is going through so much, and there's things happening that you can't even imagine happening. And you begin to sit back and you begin to think, this is ridiculous. This is a a war of the enemy. But in return, I don't know so much it's a war of the enemy as it is the shakening of God going on to realign us and to get us back into the place that we need to be. So we're going to be talking about a little bit about what happens when you become shaken tonight. If there's one thing that we know in scripture that is without question and that is this. Elijah the prophet was a man of deep devotion unquestioning obedience and he had a daring faith. How many knows that Elijah was a powerful man of God? How many of you would like to be like Elijah? Elijah in scripture is one of the heroes that we all look up to and many times we wish we had those spiritual qualities that this man possessed. When I begin to read the book of 1 Kings and I see all the things and Elijah done and the miracles and the daring faith that he had and all of the things that he possessed. I think, man, I want to be like that man. He's the hero of the faith. He's one that we look up to. However, as it is in all heroes' lives, not just some of them, but in all heroes' lives, there is some chapters that reveal real life struggle that did not where they did not fare so well. Have you ever thought about a hero not faring so well? Sometimes we want to be a hero, but we we want to be a hero without going through the things that caused the the man or the woman to become the hero. Let me say this. When you, when we think of heroes, we think that they, uh, they never have or never will struggle or ha- ever have life-related situations where they struggle in life. We see their victories, but we don't see their wars. Come on. We see their promise, but we don't feel their pain. A lot of times we'll look out and say, boy, oh, Brother Bill's got it all together, or Brother Joe's got it together, but the truth of the matter is you have no idea what they're going through in their lives. You look up here and maybe you see a pastor from time to time or a song leader and it seems like they got their lives together. But I want to tell you no matter who is in this building, whether it be somebody on the pulpit or whether it be someone on the pew, whether they be elder or whether they be janitor, we all got to go through our stuff. Can I have an amen? And Elijah found himself going through some real life struggles. We have a tendency to think the heroes are never bothered by anything. We think heroes are birthed but they're not made. There is not one hero that's ever been birthed birth. There's never come a person, a baby from a loom except Jesus Christ that was a hero. Other than that I want you to know heroes are made, they are not birthed. We, ne- we never vision our heroes in our minds as having times of weakness and vulnerability. As a matter of fact, sometimes we are let down and even disappointed in our heroes. You know why? Because sometimes they don't meet our expectations. Now, I want to tell you, when you put people up on a pedestal, you're putting them in a hard place because I want to tell you, there are times there's no way they can meet all the expectations you put upon their life. Heroes live in a hard place. Heroes have a hard life. Can I have an amen? Because people just look at them and all at them and they got to walk such a tight line that they feel like that if they move to the left or move to the right that they're going to disappoint everybody and they got all of everybody's expectations upon their shoulders. But we picture the heroes of faith like we do Superman. They're faster than a locomotive. They can leap tall buildings a a single bound and they're faster than a speeding bullet. They're invincible. Oh, so and so, he's just a man of God. Oh, so and so, or so and so, she's such a prayer warrior. Oh, I wished I had. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, I wished I had their faith? Have you ever looked at somebody and said, When I stand before the judgment, I wished I could stand in the judgment of God in their shoes instead of my own shoes? Sometimes we idolize our heroes. We don't treat them or view them as human. And if we do, then we think they're superhuman, especially talents and special abilities. When we think that we can never be a spiritual hero or ever achieve anything due to our lack of superhuman abilities and strength, how many knows that you do not have superhuman abilities and strength? None of us do. And when we think I can't be that hero because I don't possess those qualities, then we need to be reminded of what James 5 and 17 says about Elijah. Elijah was a man subject to like, subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it reigned out on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Everything Elijah done, I want you to know he done as a common, ordinary man. He did not have superhuman strength. He did not have some kind of special giftedness or talent other than the anointing of God. Elijah was not a superhuman, but he was a common man that was anointed by the presence of Almighty God. How many of you are the anointed of God, the called of God? Then I want to tell you everything that you need lies within inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you think that you cannot become an Elijah, you got another thing coming, honey, because God's got greatness in every single one of us, and greatness does not mean that we're flawless. Greatness just means that we're anointed of God, and God's taking us through a process, and God's taking us through a journey, and what I am now is not what I'm going to be, because tomorrow I'm going to be better than I am today, and by the time five years... It's my, I'm gonna be greater than I've ever been because God is not ever giving up on me. He's constantly at work in my life. Amen. Give the Lord praise, amen. <laughs> Even though Elijah was one of the superheroes of the faith, yet there comes this chapter in our text that describes breakdown, humiliating failure, and defeat in Elijah's life. Look at that. How can this be a hero, but yet failure? How can it be a hero but yet struggle? How can it be a hero but yet break down? Have you ever thought about a hero having a breakdown? Come on now, these words are almost like they seem they don't even go together. It's almost like they're on different planets. But listen to me, where there is no struggle, there is no heroes. (laughs) Heroes are birthed in the midst of struggle. Some of you don't understand this. You're saying, why am I going through this? It seems like no one else is going through what I'm going through. Because God's making you become a hero. You say heroes are birthed in the midst of struggle. Struggles is what produces or makes us become heroic in the the eyes of God. Failure is what produces the stuff in us that makes us become heroes. It is the element that God uses to build character in our lives. Can I have an amen? Amen. Learning experiences are the gateway to victorious living. And let me say this some things cannot be taught, they have to be caught. You have to experience them because sometimes experience is not only our best teacher, it's the only teacher that we have. Can I have an amen? Failure is not what takes people out, it's when we don't learn from our failure that destroys us. The old saying is this when you fail, get up, brush yourself off, try, try again. How many of you have ever failed? That don't make you a failure. Are you listening? Just because you failed does not make you a failure. The only way that you become a failure is when you've not learned by the things you failed in. Can I have an amen? When you look at Elijah, we look up to him and we wish we had his faith. We admire him, we esteem him, we look up to him. His life, however, doesn't represent a life that is without mistakes or it's not flawless. But it's one that can remind us of our very selves. His life is a life that's so updated that you and I can compare ourselves even to him. When we find ourselves discouraged, depressed, and despondent, we find hope in this hero by the name of Elijah. We find ourselves in the when we find ourselves in the grip of despair, when we have fear grip and possess our lives. We can take comfort to know that Elijah was a man of like passions that we are. He faced these same difficulties that you and I face today, and though he miserably failed, yet he come out as a winner. Amen. And even though Elijah is a man that is considered to have incredible faith, oh my goodness, look at all the things that he done. Yet I submit to you tonight that there were times, like in our text, when doubt overwhelmed this great man of God. I was know Elijah experienced loneliness. And he felt like that no one ever even cared for him. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt you can be lonely in a big in a big group of people? You can feel isolated. You can feel like you don't belong, even in a congregation of this size. You can feel like that no one cares about you. The disciples even went through that. You remember when they woke Jesus up and says, "Carest thou not that we perish? They even accused Jesus because of trial and trouble, that Jesus didn't love them and that Jesus didn't care. Have you felt like that God don't love you, that God loves other people more than you, and that God views some people more special than he views you? There are people right here in this congregation tonight that are overwhelmed with all kinds of things. And because of the shakening that's going on in their life, they feel like that they're on a lesser plane with God than somebody else. Because we're comparing ourselves constantly with somebody else in the congregation. I've got good news for you. There may be different realms and levels of maturity, but there is no different depths of love that God has for any other individual. God loves us the same. Praise the Lord for that. Can you say amen? God doesn't love the preacher more than he loves the pool, the people the on the, uh, the, the pews. And God doesn't love the leader more than he loves the follower. I want you to know we are all on the same plane when it comes to the depth of God's love for us. Amen. First of all, after his great victory, we see that Elijah had over the prophets of Baal. He finds himself suddenly gripped by fear and alarm. Haven't you ever had a spiritual breakthrough or some kind of a victory and before the week is up, you find yourself weaker than you've ever been before and you don't understand it? Have you ever had one of those great explosions in your life where you're in a prayer meeting or maybe the altar service, maybe the sanctuary and a congregational singing or whatever and God just overwhelms you and bless you and you walk out like you could walk on water and by the time you get home, a discouraging call comes and when you get to the business, things fall apart and before the day's over, you've lost your victory. Anybody, am I the only one that's ever faced that in a lifetime? You find yourself getting blessed on a Sunday night at an altar and even testify about it only to find out defeat and failure stares you in the face the very next day. And then here comes the enemy. You know what he does? He's an accuser of the brother. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. He's a surplanner. He's a discourager. Can I have an amen? He comes by and he tells you what you experienced the night before was to no avail and your testimony that you gave on that Sunday night about what God done for you, it's nothing more than an embarrassment because look what's happened now. You see, this is where Elijah was at. The very same courageous man that stood up to King Ahab and slain the prophets of Baal with the sword in the previous chapter. I'm talking about this is not even a 24-hour period, folks. That same man that stood up against those prophets and slayed the prophets of Baal is the same guy in our text that's running from his life from one woman by the name of Jezebel. Elijah's trial happened immediately after his victory. Amen? The most vulnerable time in your life is immediately after you have had one of the greatest victories of your life. And this usually is when we let our guard down and the enemy tries to steal our victory before it takes root within our lives. Folks, regardless of what you face on Monday, it does not negate the work that God done on you on Sunday. I want you to know that. The attack cannot take away what has already been affirmed and accomplished within your spirit. And no matter what the enemy does to Elijah, the truth still remains. The prophets or Baal are still dead. Can I have an amen? Amen. It don't matter how much he lies and deceives and puts foil of fear and doubt and dismay in Elijah's life. The prophets of Baal's are still dead. And I want you to know the havoc to the kingdom of darkness has already been accomplished. Elijah has had a success. The enemy can lie all he wants, but if Elijah will open his eyes and look back, he'll have way more more victories than he does failures. And that's the same way it is in your life. If you really love the Lord and you're starting to commit yourself to God and you're trying your your level best to serve him, I want to tell you, you may have some struggles, you may have some fears, and you may not even act right sometimes, and you may fall apart and weep and cry and feel sorry for yourself and everything else, but when the smoke settles, if you'll look up and look back, I want you to know you'll have a lot more victories than you do defeats in your life. Can I have an amen? I'm trying to help somebody out here this morning tonight. The only way the work that God has done in you is negated is if you allow the present attacks to cause you to doubt the work that God's established in your heart. The attack has nothing to do with the previous victory because the victory's already been done. Nothing can take that victory away, but the attack is caused because of that victory. The enemy hated it. He set out to destroy it, and he tried to negate it in your life by you denying what happened. One minute Elijah, standing up against Ahab and all the prophets of Baal. And now we're seeing him running for his life after hearing the threats of Jezebel. Look at verse one and two. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all uh, how he slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, if you read between the lines, she promised by tomorrow we're going to have your head cut off. That's what she's saying because Elijah cut the heads of the prophets of Baal off. And look at what verse 3 says. And when he saw that, he arose, went for his life, came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Now this is where the Holy Spirit really got to dealing with me about tonight's sermon. And I I was sitting there and I was just going over some of my notes and I was thinking, what do I take out? What do I put in? And the Lord said, whatever you do, do not take this out. The Bible said when he saw that, that he rose and went for his life, his focus was more on the threat than the thunder of promise. Have you ever thought about that? Folks, he's running from Jezebel with it raining. Or at least there's evidences of rain everywhere. Because if you'll remember, rain had been withholding for three and a half years, and the prophet Elijah prays, and the rain came, and there was, because of the promise that God had gave Elijah, there was mud puddles all over the place because there was an outpouring of the blessings of God upon the land as a result of Elijah. And right with evidence, staring him in the face, he's already forgot the victory that God had given previously. Isn't that odd? Right in the middle of divine favor, if we're not careful, we can be so caught up in our tragedy that we can't see God's provision, that we can't see God's promise. Nothing gets so bad that it can't be fixed. Anybody with me? Nothing is so big that it can't be conquered. I don't care what you're going through or where you're at. My God is a God of provision. He's a God that's able to take care of his own. Notice that his focus is more on the threat than the thunder of promise. He's running with the very manifestation of God's promise evident in his midst. But his focus focus was more on the threat than it was the blessing. There's a lot of people that are here hearing the whispers of the enemy the accuser of the brother, the liar, the deceiver, the manipulator. And not only that, there are influences that God has uh, the enemy has connected to your life in the forms of friends or neighbors or maybe family members that's whispering these things, that's got a spirit of Jezebel upon them, and without you ever even knowing it, that spirit of seduction is upon you, and you have come to believe such lies that you believe that you're no longer valuable to the kingdom of God, nor can you live this thing that everybody's demanding you to live, and everything in your life that's falling apart, there's no way that God can fix it. And I'm here to tell you somebody in this house, the devil is a liar. Amen. One thread had already stolen or took away the excitement and the victory that happened just hours before. Just hours before, man, he was having a heyday. He was the victorious man. He's calling down rain from heaven. He's cutting people's heads off. He's winning victories. Ahab's running, the king of Israel. And he's coming and crying on his wife's shoulders Ah, oh, this prophet's just destroyed everything. All of my hopes and my ambitions are gone. This prophet has took over. And here is old Jezebel rising up, being angry at what just took place. Somebody told me not too long ago they heard of a church splitting on the very day of their dedication of a new building. Can you imagine? With all of the excitement, everybody's excited, they got into it on the way of dedication, and during the dedication service over nonsense, the church split. Right in the midst of victory, the enemy come and brought defeat. Every victory in your life, everywhere you make headway, there will be something, the force that will try to push you back. That will fight you, will oppose you. Come on, we're in a real serious, we're in a serious warfare in these last days. The thing that Elijah faced is believed to happen less than within a 24-hour period. Before the sun set on the blessing, the attack had already been put in motion by the enemy and launched. The next thing we see is that Elijah was able to bear the presence of his servant. Notice this. Verse three and four, and when he saw that the threat of Jezebel, that's what he saw, he arose and went for his life, came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And and so I want you to notice something. The Bible says in verse three, this is what the Lord really laid on my heart that he left his servant in Bathsheba. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? And the Lord began to open my understanding to that. Verse four says that he went, that he left his servant at Bathsheba, but Elijah himself went on a day's journey. into uh, into the wilderness. In other words, there was a separation from his servant. And God began to pour it into my spirit. He said, this is what usually happens to a person that's gripped with fear and alarm. He was unable to bear the presence of his servant. So this means that Elijah began to isolate himself. One of the worst things that you can do is isolate yourself. His isolation wasn't due to him being driven out by his friends, but his isolation was self-imposed. And you know what his isolation was all about? He felt bad about himself. And he thought everybody else viewed him the same way. And I want to tell you, however you view yourself is the way that you think everybody else views you, and that's a lie from the pits of hell. Because we are our worst critics. And a lot of times if you ain't careful you'll get to be and leaving lies evil imaginations are running your mind the enemy will make havoc with you before long you don't even want to try to succeed because you convinced yourself that everybody else has already predetermined what you're like by your own thought press that you create by your own thought process that you created in your own mind you have put A self-imposed image about yourself already in your mind and you think that everybody else is in agreement with it. Amen? That's a lie of the enemy. I'm helping somebody here today. There's somebody sitting right here in this service that has went through a lot of emotional trauma, some sad times, some lonely times. All of these words are key and connected tonight. I don't know who it's to. But you're going through these things and before long the enemy gets to working on your mind condemnation begins to set in, guilt begins to set in, worthlessness begins to set in, and before long, you find yourself pulling away, and before long, you find yourself isolating yourself, and then before long, you isolate yourself from all of the people that you are connected to in the spirit because you've got a preconceived idea of what they're thinking about, so then you connect yourself to a wrong influence that's not spiritual at all. Then they feed you and before long you're finding yourself going down a wrong road because you've disconnected to the family of spirit and you've connected to the family of flesh. And now you're being fed a bunch of junk that isn't true and you're going to find yourself completely destroyed if you're not careful. Am I helping anybody here tonight? God help me. Elijah wasn't able to bear the presence of his service, so he began to isolate himself. His isolation wasn't due to him being cast off, it was due to his own making. And oftentimes when we're overstrained and we're stressed, even the presence of a friend, the ones that we love the most, can irritate the fire out of us. You know why? Because when you're in the test of your life, in the test of life, you don't like to hear what a friend will tell you sometimes. You don't want to hear it. How many knows that the wounds are a friend are very important to your life? Amen? First of all, it seems that they have it all together, doesn't it? You walk in, they don't even have to say a word. Their appearance alone only reminds you that you don't have your stuff together, and they do. They're better than you are. It drives you bananas. Sometimes you can get in fights with people, and they don't even know what you're fighting about because you got a preconceived idea, and they're not on the same wavelength with you. Amen? They can become thorns in your side Because they're reminders of your own standing. The irritation isn't the friend's fault. It's just that we've allowed ourselves to compare ourselves to our preconceived ideas of how their lives are compared to ours. And the truth of the matter is this. If you will really stop and think about it, you don't have a clue and you don't have an idea what they're going through themselves. It's odd how you can get two people together and one's thinking, huh... You know, they got their life together, and they think I'm not spiritual, and they think this, and then the other one's sitting there thinking, boy, he's got his life together, and they're both thinking the same kind of thing opposite of each other. And the preconceived ideas drives them apart. I want to tell you, if there's ever a time that you got to quit imagining things, and it's called evil imaginations, it's now, and understand that you're a blood-bought child of God, there's not anything that you can do that'll make God stop loving you, there's nothing that you can do that'll cause the church to stop loving you, and quit believing lies that have, that you say that people have preconceived ideas of what, what I am. And there's times that people can walk in the church, and they'll isolate themselves in the congregation, they won't even look up and see people eyeball to eyeball because they already think that them people are judging them. When in reality they don't even know them, they're just trying to get to know them. Come on, somebody help me preach. If the devil can single us out and cause us to isolate ourselves, he has the ground, and he has the ground in gaining destruction in our lives. Because I want to tell you, whether you know it, there's strength in numbers. And when the sheep Or the lamb is isolated. That's when the wolf destroys him. Whatever you do, do not isolate yourselves from a part of the spiritual body of Christ. Don't lock yourself up in rooms. Come on. Don't stay away from the people that are spiritual. Amen? Amen. Haven't you for no reason at all sometimes look up and see somebody that you love and admire. They're your heroes and you see them coming and all of a sudden you start finding yourself avoiding them. Because just their presence is making you feel intimidated, and the intimidation is giving you preconceived ideas, and then preconceived ideas is getting you to a place of depression that's causing you to isolate yourselves from the very ones that's on your side. Is that not right? And God wants that to stop right here tonight in somebody's life. If he can, the devil can get us to isolate herself, he's got us destroyed. Is not how that we can allow the very ones that love us to irritate us the most, and we find ourselves hiding from them. I know what it's like being a young guy, you know, trying to struggle in the ministry. And the very one I love the most, my pastor, he'd call, and you'd sit on the ID, and you wouldn't answer the call. Or he'd come up to the door and knock on the door I'm not home. Don't, I'm not here. I'm not here. And why? He's the very one that's there to help me. But just because I had a preconceived idea, he's here to jump on me. He's here because I missed church Sunday and he's gonna come and preach to me. No, he's come to check me out to see if I'm okay. He's there to help me. He's there to undergird me. He's there to strengthen me. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's there to be a brother. But if we are not careful, we will destroy ourselves through our preconceived ideas and we will isolate ourselves from the very people that's there to help us in our time of trouble. God, help us not to do that. The next thing that shows up in Elijah's life is depression. Have you ever been depressed? Depressed people don't like to admit it. We lie more about that than anything else. Depression is an ugly word, isn't it? It's a dark word. I have been depressed. That's hard to say. I like when you go to AAA, they say you got to get up and say, Hi, I'm Kit Miller. I'm an alcoholic. Well, I want to tell you, I think every one of us in the body of Christ are to sometimes let down our silly pride, and when we're going through something, say, Hi, my name's Kit Miller, and I'm depressed. Amen? Why is it that when we're depressed, we try to hide it from everybody? They can tell it. Isolation brings depression. In the midst of your trial, don't go into seclusion. Elijah goes, and he sits under a juniper tree, and his depression leads him into presumptuous and unwise praying. All of a sudden, his mind's so warped. Listen to how he prays in verse four. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. He's praying to die. This is our hero. Hey, I'm talking about Elijah. I'm talking the man that caught fire out of heaven. I'm talking about the man that said, let it be rain and rain fell after three and a half years of drought. I'm talking the man that done miracles, split waters and walked on dry ground. Hey, this is the hero. Now he's all upset and he's he's had such a bad day because of one threat that now he's depressed and isolated and he's ready to die. Have you ever been there? I want to ask you, have you ever been there? Most all of us have. He's actually praying to die. He's gotten so low that he's not even wanting to live. He sees no purpose in his life. Just the day before he was killing the prophets of Baal and now... He's writing out his burial policy. Amen? You're talking about a life that's a roller coaster. This man has a roller coaster. He's up and down. One minute he's rejoicing in sweet victory, and the next minute he's reaching, and he is reacting in defeat and despair. Here is poor old Elijah sitting under a juniper tree. I call it wit's end corner. He's having a pity party. Has anybody had a pity party before? Whoa, it's me. Come on. Crying. And, you know, cutting down everybody around them because the preconceived ideas that they think they think about them and they don't even. And, you know, the people are just as innocent as can be. But we got bad things to say about good people just because of the way we preconceived them in our own eyes. Because we just know they think this about us. In reality, it's not them thinking about that way about us. It's us thinking about that, ourselves that way. And then we have a preconceived idea that they just think it too. I wish I could say that again. Amen? Silliness. Assumption is the lowest base of knowledge it is, and 99% of the time, it's wrong information. Assumption is not fact. Feeling is sure not fact. Well, I don't, I don't know, but I know one thing. I feel it, and if I feel it, I know. I just know what it's I, You ain't gonna convince me. I feel it. It don't matter what you feel. Feelings lead you astray. It's not about feeling. It's about faith in who you are in Christ. And in God, have you ever been where Elijah's at? Sure you have. Devastation, facing you face to face after receiving a miracle the day before. And here he is filled with self-pity, praying to die, having a pity party. He's saying, I'm no better than my father's already. He's lowered his standard of who he is. My goodness, he's the prophet that just killed all the the, the, uh, the prophets of Baal. Okay? And here he is, I'm a nobody. No one cares about me. I'm lonely. Well, he's, you know why He's lonely. It's odd to me how the people can isolate themselves, become depressed, become elusive, go into seclusion, and then they'll say, the church don't even visit with me. You know why? Because you won't let them. Amen? The church will get the blame for the very thing that you run and you resist to allow them to do. It's the oddest thing how the people will say, them kinds of things, and you sit there and say, man, we went by the house, we've called, we've emailed, we never get a response, we, we get to the idea that they don't want us around, amen? Self-pity is always a dangerous state to get into because it will give you an unbalanced view of things. Depression always magnifies problems. Folks, this is somebody here tonight. I feel it in my, I feel it in my spirit. Most all crises that you're going through, I don't care how bad they are, they become magnified in our minds. Let me say this. Most problems are not as bad as they appear to be. Because I want to tell you something. The enemy has a way of blowing things up and making them become a lot bigger than what they really are in your life. And when you believe in them, they become mountains when literally they may be mohills. Some of the things that we worry about and fret over and some of the things we come to believe are very things that they start out as nothing, but because of the lies and the deceptions and, the, and all of the uh, different kinds of evil imaginations that get attached to it, it grows and it magnifies itself in our minds. Listen to Elijah when he goes and asks the question, or when God asks him the question in verse 9. What doest thou here, Elijah? God says, hey, what are you doing down there, Elijah? Why are you there? Now, he wasn't asking Elijah what he was doing at the cave because it was God that sent him to the cave in the first place. So it ain't about the position. What God was doing was asking Elijah, what are you doing in this state of mind and how did you get there? If there's one thing God wanted Elijah to do is ask himself and do some self-examination about the reason of why he's at the place that he is actually in spiritually. And I think one of the things that all of us need to do, we need to be like David and say, search me, oh God, and examine me. There needs to become self-examination because if you're finding yourself in the place where Elijah's at, God's going to make you do some self-examination and say, "How did you get there? Because you didn't get there on, you didn't get there on your own. You were, in, in, you were, you were seduced and you were lied to and you were manipulated and you begin to believe lies that wasn't true. And before long, things were blown out of proportion. And before long, false feelings came along with it and you begin to lie and your own emotions tied to the lie. And through the emotions being tied to the lie, now not only are you becoming to embrace the things that are not true but you begin to feel the things that are not true as to be factual and them are things are hard to break Amen God help me right here God wants to help somebody God wants you to know that if you're not careful that you will allow the enemy to distort the facts and magnify your dilemma you'll lose true reality to the things that are wholesome and true because you'll have an unbalanced view of things. And if you're not careful, the enemy will cause you to magnify the problem and make it bigger than really what it is. And most of the and most of the time, the size of the problem is not the problem. I want you to know it's how we allow it to be perceived within our own minds. That's the problem. The real problem is our mindset and attitude toward the problem itself. Look at verse 10. He says, "I have been very ze- jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken the covenant, throw down the altar, slain the prophets with the sword, and I even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away." Now I want you to notice what's beginning to happen to Elijah. Elijah takes his own feeling of condemnation and guilt and he opposes it on everybody else. You know what he says? Everybody's bad. He has faith in nothing anymore. He's cutting down Israel, and he begins to say, I am the only one that's left. And God begins to say, big boy, you don't even have a clue of what you're talking about. Here, Elijah has temporarily lost his faith in God. He still believes in him, but he can't seem to trust him in crisis because he's exaggerated the dilemma in his mind and the problems seem to be too big for God. In other words, we know God works in the small matters, but he don't mind. I want to tell you, killing 850 prophets of Baal is not a small thing. And yet now he's beginning to believe that the thing that he's faced with, that God ain't able to take care of him. And let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes it can be, Family problems. It can be uh, cancer. It can be whatever. And when you hear those kinds of words, you'll start putting numbers to it, and you say, "Well, every time I hear that, 90 percent of the time, God can heal the common cold. But when it comes to this disease, I don't know if anybody ever been healed by it. So I'm doomed." We come on. All right, no one knows what I'm going through, and it's so dark around here, and people don't understand, and blah 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 blah. And before long, we make all of these excuses, and and we and we we categor them and we file them in the in the, in the file cabinets of our mind. And before long, we get to the place that we really think that it's useless to call upon the name of the Lord, because really nothing's going to be done about it anyway. Have you ever felt like that? God will do whatever Kendra wants God to do, but. Not me, he won't do it for me. God will do it for Brother Williams, but he won't do it for me. And then before long, when you get so low, you even get mad at the ones that God's doing it for, and then you begin to bring false accusations upon them like Elijah did and say, no one's right with God. I'm the only one that's been right because they've all mistreated me, and it's their fault that I'm in the place. Now we begin to put our blame on other people of why we are where we're at. We don't want to face the blame for ourselves. It becomes everybody else's fault but our own. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then God begins to say, look, you've exaggerated your problem. You've got an unbalanced view of your uh, of your situation, Elijah. You think you're the only one left. And the problem is the only reason why you're thinking that is because all of your attention's on yourself. All you see right now is yourself. But he said, I want you to know I've got 5,000 men that's not bowed their knee to Baal. There's 5,000 of them out there that you don't even see. You can't see them because you're so self-centered and you're in, caught up in self-pity and the depression to the point that you can't even see the magnificent army I got that's trying to work on your behalf with you. Come on. Folks, I want you to know whatever you're going through tonight, there'll be more for you than against you. No matter how deep you go, there's somebody in this building that's been there before that can come alongside of you and help you and say, hey, I'm here to bear the infirmities of the weak. I've been in that pit. I've been in that place. I know what it's like. I had no idea that this man went through what he went through when he gave, until he gave his testimony on a Wednesday night how his son was murdered and how he had to go to court and how he had to look at the man that murdered his own son. And with tears streaming down his face, the judge says, you got anything to say? And this man said, God put it in his heart to look at him and say, I forgive you. Amen. Have you been there? This man's been there. When you're going through the lowest moment of your life, It's not time to isolate. It's not time to get all these preconceived ideas. It's not time for your imagination to run wild. You're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and you are to bring down strongholds of words and accusations. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm here to tell somebody, your life is not over. Your, your, Your situation has not gone so far and got so deep that God can't pull you out of it. Things are not so dark that God can't come through with a shining light and bring deliverance to it. Things can be resurrected things can be brought back to life things can be brought back to newness I don't care what it is I don't care where you're at I don't care what you're faced with you are not a a defeated foe in the eyes of God you still got the potential inside of you you just got to crawl out of your nutshell and say hey this is not a time for a pity party it's time for a praise and it's time for a prayer because God's going to come through in my life (laughs) hallelujah would you stand with me please I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning or tonight, but the Lord really wants to heal some people of some negative emotions. It's running rampant. It's going crazy, and because what you're going through is real, it's real. It's something that you're going through. I have a friend that has been calling me, and um, over the holidays it's been very difficult. Uh, he's uh, or she is married to one of my best friends. And they've been calling and I've been trying to connect as much as I can. And the things that she's going through is so so hurtful, so harmful. And and then when I get to hearing the, her talk, I begin to think that's blown out of proportion. That because I know the situation. Hey, man, that ain't the way that it is. You're seeing things on a scale that is not not even close to the reality. And then before long, it begins to bring division and separation and isolation and then doubt and fear and guilt, and then before long, you you feel like a failure and before long you begin to make wrong decisions and before long you you yoke together with unbelievers and and before long your mainstay is not somebody solid in your life that's going to speak truth to you but it's going to be somebody that will agree with whatever you want them to agree with and through the spirit of Jezebel, through the manipulation they'll take you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole of isolation until
0: you're destroyed. And God wants somebody to be free here tonight.